Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Food. Food is so important, especially at a gathering, because it's like a failsafe. If the watches suck, there's the food. If the company sucks, there's still the food. I would actually go as far to say that in a one-to-one meet with the watch collector, the food has to be good. Because when there's nowhere to hide or go, at least there's the food to turn to. And I know both of you girls know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. And I have unofficially decided that perhaps one of the best places to meet is Shake Shack. And specifically, their Shack Burger and perhaps a cheeky hot dog as well. And if Lung Lung's prowling around, a lemonade is a, is a must as well. Um, my most recent meet there was with one of the other co-founders of the Horology Club, a guy called Helbert, not Herbert, Helbert, who I'm happy to have on the show today. So welcome to the show, Helbert. Thank you, Daniel, for the introduction. Um, I hope the meal doesn't reflect the quality of our time together at Shake Shack. Well, this is what I mean, right? I think it's the juxtaposition of something like Shake Shack, which is so different to how brand events are organized, that actually makes it comfortable to do a watch gathering. You know, it's such a high contrast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I just understand that it's not Herbert. It's Halbert. <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, I think, well, because I think his name's Halbert. Yeah. Do you know that his name's Halbert? Well, it's not Herbert. I always knew it was Halbert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. So, like I said, we met at Shake Shack, and there was four of us. You run a watch club, specifically, as I mentioned, the Horology Club in Hong Kong, which is growing. But actually, I want to put the question to you. In your opinion, does growing make for a better experience in the watch club? That's a very good question. Um, I think in a sense it does, because uh, in a way, right, when you have a limited pool of people, then uh, you also have a somewhat limited, you know, buying power and a, a collective collection. So you know, sooner or later, you're going to see everyone's watches. You know, people are going to buy new watches over time, but, you know, they wouldn't buy it in such a, a rapid pace, right? So having a, a growing community also means that you're able to see more watches over time as well. So I think that's what I really enjoy about the, the Horology Club is being able to meet new people and experience their watches. But as you grow, like, I would say it's not a linear curve, though, isn't it? Because... The more people you get doesn't mean you've got more people with high spending power. And there's only so much you can look at an Omega Seamaster or a Rolex Submariner or even like a a Nautilus, right? Yeah, granted, yes. But I mean, sometimes you're surprised, right? Sometimes there are areas of watchmaking that, you know, perhaps you are aware of, but you just haven't seen in real life. You know, for example, uh, there are so many vintage pieces out there that you may not have seen. Uh, and you come to one of these meetups and you see something like that. And you may well very much like it, but 
you just haven't experienced it yet. So I, I, th I think it's a good thing to, you know, be able to see these watches uh, in person. Yeah, so your point is basically the more people you have, the more chances you get to see watches that you might not be able to see. But what about the quality of the conversation? Mm, uh, I think it depends, right? If someone brings watches that you haven't seen before, then it's very likely that, like, I mean, someone like you who works in the, the auction business, you've seen a lot of things that are under the sun. So if there's a watch, if you come across a watch that you haven't seen, uh, I, I would say, you know, either they somehow found it somewhere or they inherited it, or they are a very discerning collector and just happen to in be into this niche that you haven't experienced before. So if that's the case, then I think the quality of the conversation will tend to be quite good. But of course, that's not a general thing. Uh, you know, if with the a high quantity number of members, you're also bound to have a lot of newcomers who are looking to learn as well. Uh, but it depends on the, the reason that you, you know, why you're coming to such meetups. Okay. So please, Nolan, come in. Um, I'm going to say something controversial, but I feel like I'm not ideal to join a watch club because I don't have the ability to pretend I like something <laughs> that well. So, you know, in every like watch club, you always have a newcomer that's like, Hey, I just got my Rolex C dollar or something. And there's something. Pumped. Yeah, something along. Okay, like a I don't want to say like a Batman, because I mean that's still not bad, but there's always somebody that's like super new but super excited and can't stop talking about this one thing that you liked maybe 10 years ago. So do you guys have people like that in your club? Yeah, I think I think, uh, like I said, you know, like there's who? bound to be people who are in the earlier part of their journey as well. But I think it depends on whether you are someone who enjoys, you know, just seeing new things, or you also enjoy uh, spreading your knowledge and your experience as well. Right. So you could very yeah. well say to this person, you know, you yeah. spend this much on uh, a siege dollar, but. Uh, you know, maybe the, these are some some of the other things in that price range you can consider too. You know, look at this other watch, something like that. So, right. Halbert, I think yeah, you are being very diplomatic for the podcast. So we're gonna have to work on you to get some real answers out of you. Yeah. But um, right, so pretty much that leads on to my next question. You've seen many collectors now, right? But what kind of collector now intrigues you? And who have you admired the most? Mm. I think the kind of collector that intrigues me is probably the ones that are really able to focus in their own niche and doesn't really care about what, what anyone else is thinking. You know, it could be someone who is just, you know, really into vintage long jeans. Uh, and they just dedicate their whole collection, their time doing research, their resources all to this one niche. Um, I think I have a lot of respect for that. It's because I don't think it's something that I can do. You know, I yeah. have a 
big variety in terms of my taste and I, I like to experience many different things and I, for me it's very hard to go very deep into one brand so I just really respect those people who are just you know able to dedicate all, all of their resources into that single brand and really look into the all the back catalog for you know stretching to decades mm. um I think you know maybe if I was into so, modern Roger Dubuis and I just focused and put all my resources into that would I be a good candidate to join your watch club He's going to say something dramatic like, all people are welcome, you know, this kind of like (laughs) stuff, isn't he? You know, we welcome everybody as long as you've got an interest in watches. Is that your answer, Albert? Yeah, I'm going to cue Daniel for the diplomatic line, but just, you know, going (laughs) further on that, I think, uh, yeah, in in a way, if that's something that you really enjoy, you can explain why you really like modern Roger de Guido. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. Okay. It may not be something that I like, but if you like it, then you know, good on you. Right. I, I wanna I wanna bring Jack into this conversation because first of all, I feel it's too long since I've actually heard your voice. But the main issue is the main thing I want to ask is because people would actually regard you as pretty focused, right, in your taste. But the other day you were telling me you were thinking it wasn't focused enough. So can you give us an insight in, you know? where your thoughts are progressing um i don't think i'm i'm focused in in that regard because for myself when i um like sometimes i could be thinking about the next like 10 steps already and i'm still processing what's happening now and that bothers me to be frankly so um in you know, I, I want to become someone like Helbert just said, I just want to focus on vintage long jeans. But I'm struggling because I feel like my brain is always thinking of the next thing. And um, I'm struggling with that. So in my collection, you, this is how I see myself right now is I have um, a vintage collection of predominantly two brands, Cartier and, and Paddock. And then there's the independence, um, which is a trajectory of its own, uh, which includes um, brands like RM to smaller independents. And then now I'm stumbling upon just small, very like niche, discontinued brands that no, frankly nobody cares about, and that brings me a lot of joy. So you have a miss. Um, you have a mash of of all these three combined and i'm i'm happy but at the same time i feel less organized than i should be um which is just just something that you 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 give to yourself right nobody's out there screaming that oh yeah you should be more organized um so really it's like my own problem but i have to say ever since i started um uh going into the phillips office and looking at phillips offerings and um it's made me want to become more organized and uh just from the sheer offering of watches that you see in the office that you once thought you had to own but really uh when you get to see it in person um you you surprise yourself and and um in in a different way in a, in a better way i think so 
that's my path right now. Wait, I want to ask Jack something. How, are you in a watch club at all? Because I'm sure tons of people want you to be in their watch club. I'm not. So funnily you say that. The other day, I, uh, I was uh, at a public event. And I have to give a shout out now. <laughs> so Chi, if you're <laughs> listening to this, shout out. Thanks for coming by. Um, so Chi actually bought one of our straps at the beginning of the year. And he he noticed my voice and um, came by, said hi, and, uh, and uh, told me that, you know, he's an avid listener of us. Um, invited me to, and he was going to like a Red Bar NYC event. So um, invited me to, to go to that event. And I, at first I was like, oh yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go check it out. Even though this week is kind of like hell for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was intrigued. I said, yeah, maybe I should go to an event. And then um, he circled back and he said, yeah, I just for- forgot to tell you. Um, so th- these are the details. It's going to be a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, how many people? He said, a lot. I said, oh, maybe not my type of event then. Um, and I think because f- for myself, and I told him the same, I much prefer to have a small gathering. Just it- It's not that I'm, I'm claustrophobic or, or anything. It's just I, I want to have a good time with everyone. And in a big event, it's just simply impossible. And you can't really get to know a person that well because of the noise and distractions and everything. So, and I thought about it, that, yeah, like, like long, maybe that's the reason why I haven't joined any watch club, um, mm. at least events in person. But I do, I, I am a part of a club based in Boston. Um, and I think I've mentioned it before. It's a smaller group. Um, and we, it's hosted by a lovely, lovely individual. And when I used to reside in Boston, he would, um, invite brands like we had an exclusive effusion event Pierre Halimi came and it was just at his home and mm. Pierre was staying at his home um and we had a talk so those I'm all for and those would cap out around 20 people maximum mm. Mm. um and, and I'm all for those kind of event yeah mm. yeah but there's another thing as well Jack like there's no way as a friend, I would advise you to risk your kind of watches in a like a an event like a red bar with like over a hundred people, right? It you just don't even know where potentially your watch will end up. Who's t- you know? It, it's they're so delicate, right? Yeah, I think I haven't um, been put in that situation yet to think. Oh yeah, what watch I should wear to a large event like that? But um, I've been seeing. Um, photos of the bali retreat which i was invited to like the rolex retreat Mm -mm. like i wouldn't have and i didn't go but it was just like a table all of watches how do you uh keep a record of where yours is because it's like hundreds of watches um but yeah but i think it's like i saw that too and i thought that but i thought it's kind of like everyone has the same kind of dog you just know which one's yours (laughs) <laughs> like you yeah. just recognize yours 
that's impressive you know because they all yeah. look the same yeah yeah <laughs> well i think when you look at the um was it a vintage rolex mm. you know that's that's difficult you know mm. but you look, see a bunch of vintage daytonas or vintage subs all together you're like hang on a minute which one's whose you know because those things you know the money fluctuates depending on the condition of those things right so you pick the wrong one up you just, it's a huge amount of amount of money right but yeah. uh Wait, yeah, anyway just going back to helbert here oh okay not going back to helbert uh just very quickly because you you brought it up and now i'm like i want to ask helbert and everyone too is um can can you elaborate a little bit to our audience on how you make your watch choice of the day depending on who you'll meet like what's the mind process like you ask helbert right everyone yeah, maybe I'll... helbert can start <laughs> yeah helbert. yeah helbert go first yeah maybe i'll go first then um i think for me um i just choose it based on what i'm feeling like or what outfit i want to be wearing on the day you know if i'm going to like a brand event then i'll try my best to wear you know, the 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 brand of the watch well i mean the, the brand of the event that i'm going to but other than that i don't think there's too much thought process behind it but i actually wanted to ask you a question based on what you said earlier you said oh yeah maybe you're thinking oh, this is a big gathering right for me you know what kind of watch should i be wearing do you feel like there's a lot of pressure to be wearing like really really nice watches that people may not have seen before to a watch meet. Like, do you think people will sort of judge you based on what watch you're wearing? I think there's totally the pressure, right? I think a lot of people can relate to that, um, especially if you're going for the first time. And that's why I often just wear a small no-brand watch. Mm. You've never seen it before. Here's something you've never seen before. And that just takes off the pressure because like I also just don't wear um, some of the watches, like even to the office, because I feel like I'm I'm doing so many things simultaneously that I put my watch at risk. So I have a few to go um, go to watches um, that I just grab and go. Um, but watch events, it depends again what kind of gathering. If it were a more intimate sit down gathering with just a handful of people and you know that they are seasoned collectors, then I, my, my process is like, okay, I either wear something really niche um, that you haven't seen before. So like, again, the little no brand, but interesting, quirky, good design, vintage watch, or like my Vutalainen that I can tell you the, the design process that went into it. Um, and if I'm meeting with really vintage people, then maybe like a vintage Cartier that I'm wearing. Um, but less so in the in the gathering space. I feel like I have a two, two or three safe watches to go in, in that regard. Yeah, I think oh, wearing so something me, that... Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I think uh, wearing something that no, no one has seen before is a good approach to it. You know, it'll always... At least it will make up for a good conversation. Sorry, yeah, Daniel, I cut you off. But the thing is, it's no, no, no. so... pricey, right? Um, I feel like yeah. there is the pressure that you see on social media and all of us can relate to, to wear the most expensive watch that you have to a gathering. 
you want to you want to see expensive watches come to our preview right like it doesn't it doesn't have to sh happen at um every gathering and um yeah so so i'd say like first of all you don't know half the time who's going to a gathering and number two you don't know what that person has or has not seen so you can't make a prediction oh, i'll wear this because you haven't seen it well you don't know if you've seen it or not and I'd say also, I would say at the start when I went to gatherings, it played on my mind for sure. But then as a, as you kind of just do it and you know the people and to once you find your little small circle of friends, yeah, you, I would say you, arguably you feel more secure. But also we all have phones. So if you go, this is why I asked you the first question at the beginning, because I, I feel that I personally prefer the intimate, smaller gatherings where you can go really deep with a conversation with somebody. If you see somebody you've never met before, most of the touch point is, oh, that's watch. I've never seen that before. And they talk to you. But it generally, it doesn't go that deep. It takes time to go deep. Um, but when you in a small gathering, there is no real pressure for you to wear something amazing to impress somebody because we've all got phones, right? So, hey, I've got this piece at home. You know, and you, you bring up like a piece on, on your Instagram or on your phone, you say, so actually what you're wearing in that is not actually important. That That's how I feel. So I don't think about it anywhere as much as I used to. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Long? What is small? Like a dinner? I would say six. Six below. Oh, oh. okay. Uh, my thought process is a bit different. So smaller ones like dinner, then... I'll wear something nicer. And then the bigger ones, I'll wear the cheapest one <laughs> because I'm like, it's going to mm. get scratched and I can't get mad at mm. people or whatever. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, uh, I mean, Jack, you, I don't know if you feel the same, but I definitely only wear Richard Mill like with people I know, not because of the price, but because I feel like it's so offensive for some reason. <laughs> and I've, and then, so then you're like, the, like, why are you wearing it? So it's like, okay, I'll wear it when I'm like, either alone running errands or uh with people that i know so then i don't even care about it like when jack when you were here i wore it because it's like whatever don't care uh but usually i'm like yeah i don't know why it seems to offend people so i'm not gonna wear it yeah i know yeah i get what you mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially i'm i'm, I'm wanna, more con i'm more considerate that you actually have a brain <laughs> yeah no but you know no because that's I, that's yeah. what people think they, they yeah, see Richard Mill, oh you're you're so tasteless or you're you're yeah. just you just have money um yeah. that's that's kind of you know what what most people think I when I got my RM I had a people DM me and you're like you have a Richard Mill I thought you liked <laughs> vintage like really <laughs> yeah. it's like oh what happened you, you got like dumb down a thousand knots um, yeah but yeah i get what you mean oh. like do you guys think it's right to let the connotation of a watch dictate whether we want to wear it or not like a lot of times we are wearing these things for ourselves so why should we be yeah. thinking about how other people are going to be perceiving it it's because not, it's, I, I think don't... it's a way you express yourself isn't it no, so if you're expressing okay, yourself to somebody no, People it's not like about what they think, think about me. I don't care, right? What I care about is making somebody feel uncomfortable. And this applies to everything from clothes, bags, jewelry, everything. If I go somewhere and I know this girl 
is like let's say we're not talking about watches and i'm like i know she really wants this this and this jewelry i'll try and wear long sleeves or i'll be very conscious to put my jewelry under my sleeves because i'm just like why would you make someone feel like shit you don't have to like it's Mm -hmm. easily it's not a big deal for me i'm not gonna go out of my way to make someone feel bad but uh, when I can make someone like if I don't need to feel bad, like let's say with Jacqueline, I'll be like, fuck, I don't care. Like, then I'll feel free. So there's like yeah. a time and place for it, I think. Yeah. Um, For me, I feel like Lung, you probably because of work um, yeah. and living in Hong Kong, there's there's yeah. more in that. For me, like none of my friends even know what I'm wearing most of the time. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like, yeah, I can just kind of wear whatever I want. And most weekends I am wearing my RM, right? Yeah. Um, so so but but when I'm going to like a watch gathering, it, it, it's kind of like, do I have enough time tonight to really show you what is it about this brand that I love so much? Okay, yeah. if I don't, um, then I'm not gonna wear it because I don't want to. I don't want to get into a conversation where the first thing you see, yeah, you're wearing RM, and you're like, oh, why are you wearing RM? That's general, the generally the perception, right? Um, yeah. it's out of ten people, there's seven people like that. Yeah, and then yeah. of the seven people, there's maybe two that you can spend some time really show them what is it about a brand that you love but it takes time and then the yeah. five is just no like there's nothing yeah. you can tell me that will make me like this brand i am a diehard believer of grand seiko Something like that um but so <laughs> so it, it's like that but for example i was wearing my rm into the office the other day and um under a sleeve like because it's cold here and um my my colleague pulled up my sleeve like i guess she had seen it when i was doing stuff and then she she pulled it up and and my boss was there and she was like "Eh." and then i said it's it's not something that you like like paul would like and i was very genuinely shocked when he said no i love rm i was one of the earliest like yes people to 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 have recognized the brand i said really i totally do not see you uh, being a part of the rm fam family type thing no she said um erica and and, and paul was like yeah no we love rm it's just we don't see them enough said, huh, mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. i haven't thought of it that way but yeah, yeah. long-winded answer I, I definitely think about it because like if you wear something like an RM, not that I have an RM, yeah, but I think of it from a business point of view. When I meet collectors, it's so controversial, right? I don't know, let's say, how a client's going to take that. And it can put the conversation on a downer note, right, that I don't want. So most of the time, my, most of my watches are neutral, not because of that reason, but thankfully they're neutral. So I start off, you know, on a level playing field and it's just easier. So I see it from a more of a like business getting and like like idea. okay but, but uh, let's say yeah. i didn't know you and you yeah. and i was approaching you as a like you work for phillips and then we go for yeah. dinner and you wore like a rm smiley and then yeah. i wouldn't be like what you have terrible taste i would just be like okay ex- can you just explain to me educate me like what's so great about this brand and why did you spend this amount of money yeah then i would i, I might I've, actually get yeah. into the brand but I feel that that's how you feel, but it's not for the majority. 
like like not or even summit everybody some people would have a well we all know come on man like Jacqueline's kind of just said it as well like you wear a suit like even you you know people feel uncomfortable sometimes when you wear such a watch right so I'd rather not make the client uncomfortable right from the start so that's why you know I, I consider that kind of thing but thankfully my watches don't do that so well, I don't think they do that but um going back to something we discussed which is about potentially well I guess refining the collection and how you admire Helbert like somebody that can really focus let's say you, you mentioned vintage Longines have you ever met anybody like that though that is that focused I'm not saying vintage Longines, but just that focus. Have you met anybody like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's actually a, a gentleman in our community who's just purely focused on vintage Longines. And I have mad respect for him. You know, he has founded this uh, vintage Longines collecting group with uh, a lot of esteemed collectors in there. And yeah, I just learn a lot from that group every day as well, just reading more about it. Uh, I, I look forward to getting mine in the future also. But um, I, I guess the type of collector that I really enjoy interacting with are the ones that are just really deep into their research and, and knowledge, uh, people that I can learn from, really. Do you feel the same way if they're really into Vintage Seiko? Okay. So into Vintage Seiko as well, like not the modern stuff. I think he used to be in the modern stuff, but now he's just you know, purely dedicated to vintage Grand Seiko. Uh, I mean, I, I admire his dedication. Like, I have to say, it's not really for me. I can't really see the difference between the different models, but like, he can tell me everything, like all the differences between two watches that are, to me, look pretty much identical. Like, mm. you have to really okay. like it to spend so much time on it. Right? True. Yeah. Uh, we are like, having a bit of fun here so that everybody listening you know don't take it too seriously okay um right the next question so you're well versed in watch collecting but what's the one watch that you haven't seen that you really want to see maybe through your watch community that's a very good question maybe something like a Daniel Space Traveler. I've okay. not seen that watch before that I really want to see. Yeah. Okay, so Probably there you like go. Some of the, yeah. Helbert's put the gauntlet down. Anybody with uh, Daniel Space Traveler needs to join his community. Yeah, right. I think that's, I probably have more of a chance of seeing it in an auction preview than anything. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. And and possibly like a better, like more comfortable playing with it or, you know, handling it, I should say. Right. Uh, do you mind giving the audience an idea of, you kind of mentioned it's about eclectic, but, how, you know, what kind of direction your collection is and where are you kind of looking to take it? Hmm. I actually think I have like kind of similar tastes to Jacqueline in the sense that I see my collection in like a few different, you know, pockets, right? I I really like like modern independent watches, you know, like uh, Futilainen, MBNF, uh, Uberk, you know, things that are uh, either looking very crazy or 
represents sort of a lot of innovation in terms of like pushing horology forward. Uh, but the other side of me probably likes a lot of vintage watches, uh, elegant watches, kind of like uh, Cartier, vintage Cartier, um, vintage IWC. These are things that I quite like, or some even some vintage sports watches, like you know vintage, say uh, Speedmasters. Maybe. Yeah, I think I find these areas really interesting for me at the moment. Uh, but you know, the, like I said earlier, I have a huge variety in terms of things that I like. So maybe there'll be new things that are popping up that will interest me in the future. Okay, you you mentioned. Yourself- do you see yourself as organized or disorganized? Definitely disorganized. <laughs> I never really spend too much time like thinking about um, you know what references like I'm, I'm going to be collecting next for me. It's very much you know, if I see something, if I really like it, if I can afford it, then I'll get it. Uh, I don't really plan ahead like 10 steps ahead thinking oh i need to acquire this piece that piece over the next two to three years so and i also don't really try to say collect you know different examples of the same watch or different examples of the same same reference really so i don't think i'm a very organized person right so in terms of watch collecting an area you mentioned is the indies so Kairi-Vutalainen, Urwerk, MBNF, all very different design language and philosophy. I'd like to ask you, how do you see the independent space developing in the next five years? Hmm. I think independent, independents kind of get put into the same, like kind of one bucket, right? We think about them as one category of watches, but even within Indies, you have a lot of different you know, schools of design and thought. So you have like more classical ones like uh, Kari, like Long Ferrier. You have the more avant-garde ones like MBNF and Newark. Uh, you have ones that are, you know, has a lot of uh, focus on watch finishing like Recrevia or Philippe Dufour. But in terms of watches, they're actually very, very different. Um, but what I find quite encouraging at the current stage is, you know, we see like all of these watchmakers that I, I mentioned just now, they're more like the, um, I would say the the more old school type of independent watchmakers. Maybe they started in like the late 90s and they really made the name for themselves in like the early 2000s. And now, you know, they're approaching uh, you know, 20 years old as a brand. But I think in the past few years, and especially with the uh, popularity of independent watchmaking, we're actually seeing a lot of newcomers coming into this space. Um, a lot of new ones that are also getting a lot of recognition, uh, like say, you know, Simon Brett this year, or Simon Pinot, um, you know, even Sylvain, uh, he's worked in the industry for many years, but as an independent brand, he's pretty much a newcomer. Right? And with these newcomers, they're also bringing a lot of new design languages or new ways of approaching watchmaking, uh, maybe even like uh, new complications, things like that. Um, So I'm really hopeful that this uh, new wave of independent watchmaking can 
bring this space forward and increase the popularity of uh, indies for the, the wider watch collecting community going forward. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very good answer. Right. So one of the things you do for the Horology Club is you actually, you know, do events. You do actually um, go to a lot of brand events. But I'd just like to hear what do you think brands could do better in engaging the watch community? Hmm. So I think um, different brands have different type of approaches in terms of watch events. You know, some are very much okay, let's invite uh, a lot of our customers to our, say, our, our new boutique and just check out the watches. And uh, this is, you know, just one end of the spectrum, right? And some of the other ones, uh, like, they put a lot of effort into the storytelling aspect of the brand, making sure that the collectors understand what the brand is about, uh, understand the process behind uh, the design and the manufacturing of these watches. And I think one prime example that I'm very impressed by is uh, Cartier. So they did their Time Unlimited uh, exhibition in Hong Kong last year. And I think it's also, you know, going around the world, right? Uh, of course, you know, Cartier is a brand that has a very high budget, so they can pull off these things compared to, you know, an independent watchmaker who may not have that huge budget for marketing. Um but amongst the big brands, I'm just really impressed by what Cartier does in terms of, you know, actually building the whole exhibition, uh, showcasing their vintage pieces, and just really doing great in terms of uh, storytelling, uh, explaining the history behind the different models, uh, which kind of contributes to the heritage of the brand, right? Uh, for a lot of people, they look at a Cartier watch, they may not understand uh, what's so significant about the watch itself. Uh, it's just uh, a dressy watch <laughs> that you put on the wrist and they're already very familiar with the shape. Uh, but for collectors, I think you know a lot of collectors, they buy into the story of the brand and they kind of internalize it as they're part of their own identity even. So I think for those kind of uh, brands who invest in storytelling, uh, I think those are the ones that I really enjoy the most. Uh, do you remember that about two years ago, AP did the same? So they had the exhibition at that West Kowloon place, and then they had the heritage pieces, and then you walk through the whole thing. Okay, so do you think the difference is that with Cartier, you walk through the whole thing, and you have a chance to buy it if you walk to the boutique, and AP, you don't? Do you think that's the difference for you in terms of like why you might like Cartier more? Um, no, I, I mean, I think AP did a great job uh, in that exhibition mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I don't think the availability of the watches affects the quality of the event itself. Uh, I think a lot of people who also went to the AP event really enjoyed that display also. But it's just more about, uh, you know, putting effort into telling the story of your brand versus you know, opening your doors and letting people come and check out the pieces. Okay. Okay. So do you any, do you think anybody does a crap job, Helbert? <laughs> I'm sure some do, but I'm not going to name any names here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but I mean, right. even, <laughs> even if you're just opening your boutique, right, you, uh, Brian can also easily um, put some effort into 
using that space to tell the story, like even inviting watchmakers to come and talk about the the story behind the design of watches. I think that's very important for collectors to understand. Okay. So mm. I just want to go to what Long Long said. Um, so you compared the Cartier and AP, and then I wanted to know, did you see them differently then? The experience. You mean me? Yeah. I I still feel like uh, I don't think any of these. I just feel like these are. Uh, I'm trying to find a term to describe this, but it kind of just feels like window dressing, like just extra. Mm. Like. Okay. At the end of the I day, know, I, I know what you think. I know what you, you mean. To, yeah. yeah, like you need to really one, first be a bit <laughs> curious yourself, and say you're not, and say, I'll give you an example. Like JLC, they don't really do storytelling, right? But they do have some epic events with like, um, really like immersive. You walk through different rooms and like it's the whole experience, like trying to s- tell the story of the one hundred and one and everything. But you're also extremely confused being like okay you know how jlc they have their own farm so they have honey but no one's explaining this so you just go hey there's a table with some honey and there's no explanation (laughs) and then that does not equate to me one day going back to jlc but then jlc could be like hey i know they can't keep giving out these books right but they could maybe make like a smaller version of the big reverso book and i think that you could take home and at least read it and be like, whoa, I want to get into this. Because yeah. even if you go to FP Joran, there's nothing there in Hong Kong, but they give you a book, like a booklet thing. And that booklet alone makes you go, whoa, I really need something from that brand. But you need to give something for people to go back home and remember it, not a bunch of photographs, like and nice photos. Yeah. So, so Jacqueline, uh, when Long is saying all of this, I hear you like nodding uh, ferociously. So, uh, could you, you know, tell us how what you're thinking? No, I absolutely agree with what Longs just said. And then I raised my hand up earlier because I wanted to say the JLC thing, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, just want to come back to Helbert, right? So you're saying this essence of storytelling. You think that's important, and you've cited Cartier with their exhibition. Um, you know, brand people do listen to this podcast, and I, they must be thinking scratching their heads thinking hang on a minute we do storytelling you know what what does he mean you know i put the stuff there i write about it so what specifically do you mean when you say i want more storytelling because when you go to a brand event they do explain most of the time the history which is kind of storytelling you know they try and tell you where this model design all the stuff so what exactly do you mean by storytelling Mm, I think for me, at least on a personal level, I want to understand the philosophy behind the design of the watch and the effort that gone into the making of it, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that I really like independent watchmaking is because a lot of the time you have the opportunity to interact with the creator behind the watch. And uh, sometimes, you know, watch, you look at a render, you look at a picture and you don't really understand it. Um, but after talking to the person who created it, then, you know, having the understanding of the thought process behind it, then I think that adds to the appeal of the watch. So for me, I think it's just important to understand 
how they came up with the product itself. So let's say if we take the reversal as an example, like everybody knows the the whole um, you know polo story behind it, but um, you know, as a watch collector, um, we are also here about the reversal case is actually very complicated. Uh, so if we can get a deeper insight into how complicated it is to make, why does it have so many parts just to make a swiveling case? That adds to the appeal to the brand itself as well. Mm. Mm. Okay. So to have those kind of, that communication, right? Because it's going quite deep. Maybe the gathering should be smaller with the brands to allow the person to really get into the into it right with you that's not actually possible with one a large gathering and two a display right yeah yeah i i, I absolutely agree with that um, right. i think it even if you have like one person explaining to 20 people versus one person explaining to like 100 people i think you know the amount of engagement that you get from the audience is very different right so yeah i, I agree with that notion right Okay, well, we're on our last question now for the main interview, and then you can get your teeth into like us. Um, tell us the most memorable gathering you've had personally. Um, I think it's got to be the the first one that we did for the Horology Club. Uh, we never really expected to get such a response i mean for, for the first one you know we only had around 20 people which uh, by our standards now that's a very small gathering but in the beginning it was just you know myself jonathan who you've spoken to before and carlos uh, thinking it would just be the three of us maybe with one other friend but you know people saw our post on instagram and they wanted to come to this gathering and we just kept on getting more and more responses uh and then we kept on having to um, up our booking. Uh, you know, Long, you might know, uh, it was actually at Bertie's in Hong Kong, which is a cigar bar. Um, so Can we stop telling I people guess... about Bertie's? Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, why say the name? Yeah. You can, you can cut that part out. You can bleep it. Um, <laughs> say no, uh, but, uh, 44 uh, Ship Street. Yeah, I, I guess it's the unexpected uh, element of it that I found memorable. So it's good. And a lot of those people who came to our first gathering remain to be core members of our community as well. And I'm just you know, glad that I met so many friends on that night. Hmm. That's a very heartwarming answer. Okay, right. We're in the verso round. Give us your worst. Okay. Uh, maybe one for you first, Daniel. Uh, so yeah. you've had a lot of experience, you know, doing uh, the watch fairs in Shanghai, um, spreading the passion for watches and, and watch knowledge. What do you think it would take to popularize um, independent watchmaking, say, you know, in the China and Hong Kong market? Because while there's a lot of attention on independent right now, I would say there's still not a lot of mass appeal, right? So what do you think it will take for the masses to get into independent watchmaking? Well, 
that assumes your question assumes that independent watchmaking one wants to be mass and is mass and independent watches to me are niche and for the most part will will be niche right so i don't think it needs to be uh appealing to the masses right i think if you look at what is appealing to the masses are mainly like rolex and patek so i feel that the brand yeah has to be strong for even people to be talking about it right before you even look into what they actually produce right most of the time when i think us as collectors we look at independent brands we're actually appreciating the piece and care less about the brand we're actually appreciating you know using our knowledge to appreciate the finishing the design um but uh if you if it's for mass I think if you even look at other luxury brands, it is about the brand and less about, you know, specific models or something like this. So, and I would also say from, from my um, experience with uh, Chinese collectors, actually the interest in independent brands is growing and growing rapidly. You know, I think partly due to the fact that from more of the um, more established brands, you can't get pieces. And so other collect collectors are now having to look elsewhere to satisfy their urge of buying pieces, especially even if you are a VIP and one of these uh, more established brands, you don't even know when the piece is going to come, right? And so you just, uh, but you have more time to look at other brands. So I think the natural progression as as we all are here, you know, when we look at independent brands, you still have to go th through, you know, an education. Now, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but generally you have an underappreciation before you appreciate what independent watchmaking is, what finishing is, right? How, how to like uh, do the guilloche and stuff like this. That takes time. So I think it's a natural progression and I think it's it's actually fine as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree with part of that. But I'd also say, you know, there are some independent watches that have some a somewhat mass appeal. Like the people who are into it may not have a full appreciation of the things that are going behind uh, the scenes, but they still like the watches for the brand itself. And I think RM is probably one of the prime examples of that, right? Uh, yeah. I mean... Uh, uh, a lot, a lot of people like RM. They may not be able to get able to get their hands on one, but they still like it. Maybe for the image of the brand itself. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say, you know, how other independent watches, uh, how other independent brands can uh, replicate that success in a way. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, okay, my next question is for Jacqueline. So I understand that you know you have already um, you've already had a lot of experience with different independent watch brands. What is one that you are really looking to get into but don't have in your collection at the moment? A brand, not a, not a piece. Um. That 
okay so can i ask a clarification question one that i'm not on like currently waiting for or um it can be something i'm waiting for uh it can be something you're waiting for yeah okay then it makes it easy uh charles fracho Mm -hmm. um the longest wait list i've ever committed myself to but uh i personally find it uh worth the while the reason i'm i'm not gonna go into the double impulse chronometer you can all read about it online but uh, i'll just say one thing for a brand that cares so deeply about their heritage and the r d development of a watch and not rushing it because they took 16 they, they spent 16 years in development before they were confident that a it would work and perform well in order to be put into production that um gets a lot of respect from from me so not everyone can worth spend 16 years of just burning money away um a lot of people would have jumped a gun and just say yeah you know what we're gonna do it and and start making some cash flow and then we're gonna figure it fake it until you make it right that's what the sv people say so um that for me um that's the, the wait it's list a great is, answer <laughs> the wait, list wait. Is long. yeah one how long is the wait list and then two who was funding them so yeah. they do, so, question, so, yeah. so um the they do have uh collectors slash investors funding them mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. even with that 16 years yeah you know like every year or every quarter you go you ask for more money and yeah. you repeat that 16 times mm-hmm. um the wait list i don't know how long it is now mm-hmm. but when mm-hmm. i signed up it was six seven years um and that was a little over a year ago. Granted, the watch is large. That's mm. the only thing. It's 40 as opposed mm. to... Mm. Um, and it's a big 40 because the mm. lugs are, are short and the dial is, is large. Mm. But I think for me, it's like I'm most likely never going to get a Daniels um so why not support the same dna and and spirit Mm -hmm. of british watchmaking Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a brand that's still producing watches um so i I highly encourage people to to check out the brand charles rotcham they Mm -hmm. um from a historically you know important perspective why is british watchmaking so important to the, the history of the world well the british um they're known for making marine chronometers. And that's the whole reason why the Great um, Britain like Empire was able to do what mm-hmm. they did, right? With navigation on, on mm-hmm. sea. So there's a, a historically important um, fact on the importance of these watches. So Charles Fracham made those um, mm-hmm. for, you know, and, and they also made clocks for royal members um something different than swiss watchmaking to to Mm. check out yeah that's a great answer it's not a watch that i've seen before but i very much look forward to seeing it 
Okay. Um, the last question is for Lung Ben. Um, so I, I, I understand that, you know, for women, it could be quite intimate. So am I the only one? No, I can't hear him either. Oh, okay. You got to repeat oh. that. Repeat the yeah. question. <laughs> can, yeah. you, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was saying um, for women, it's pretty in intimidating to go into a watch meet, you know, where you go into a room and it's predominantly men. So what do you think, say, watch clubs or watch communities can do to make it a more friendly environment for women to attend? Yeah, for women, that's not long, long. You got to you gotta think like them for a <laughs> second. Okay, long, long, I also... It's like, what is this piece of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i honestly don't think it's the guy's problem and i also mm. like i always get hysterical when women complain like i'm always like you don't have to go you can stay at home <laughs> like but i obviously i'm gonna offend a lot of women saying this but literally you don't have to go i always have a choice so even in i'm in the hong kong watch club and before the event they you copy and paste the list and you add your name onto the list if you're coming right and anyone that knows me like for example jonathan was super nice enough to be like hey i know you don't like big groups let's do a tiny dinner right so it's fine but i definitely will never blame the brands or blame like the watch groups because it's a choice mm. and i have also actively curated my own friends in hong kong to be like hey do you guys want to have cigars and then it's always four to five people now and i'm happy with that and also if i go to a watch event say a huge one like moser i am on one seat the whole night and the only time i get up is when i'm about to pee my pants <laughs> and then <laughs> i to run to the toilet and then the other time is when i'm leaving the event i will always just plant my ass onto that seat and not move the whole event so, yeah, I don't think you guys need to do anything. And I know you guys already do a pretty good job. Like, you guys have a good mix already for your club. Um, yeah, I think we have around a 15%, uh, you know, uh, female to male ratio, which yeah. might be quite high for a watch community, but we always strive to make it a bit more balanced if it's possible. So yeah, I'm just thinking if you have any pointers. Well, and I also think, I'll tell you what I'm very sensitive about, but then, like, this is just me. Whenever I go into an event and a guy goes, hey, you go talk to X, Y, and Z, like, because they're girls. Hey, go go talk to them. It's like, no, don't tell me what the fuck to do. I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> like, they're also human. And, like, you don't have to dumb them down to be like, yeah, you go talk to them in female language. It's like, we all speak English. They have a choice to interact with who they want to interact with. And I am just really awkward. So I want to talk to guys. It's just like that. If I was so good with girls, why wouldn't I already have a female watch group going for me already? That's so right? true. Yeah, this is what I want to keep, keep telling them. I'm not, I fully support them. And we've had different, like we've had like female watch like group founders on the podcast as well. But I will never be the one that initiates this. And mm -hmm. I will just not join one because i don't want to offend other people with my behavior like so i'm the problem everyone it's not that and also like <laughs> yeah. let's be honest right like as a member 
arguably you have more freedom than the founder yes right, to do right yeah yeah no pressure yeah, Helbert, like nod, nodding his head yeah right yeah because then because like if you're helper, you have to come up with like the purest diplomatic uh, diplomatic answers ever right mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't have like the freedom of because how you behave actually dictates your culture in your watch club mm-hmm yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and then also, like, how do you boot people out of the watch club? <laughs> like, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I'll save you from that. You'd have to answer that because I am waiting to go into the pump push around, and you have your good friend Jonathan to thank you for these. <laughs> uh, I think all but one that I came. I mean, I think the one I came up is pretty good. But all of the other ones were like, I'll tell you which one I came up and the, all the other ones come from Jonathan, okay? So, number one, what is your favorite body part of yourself? What? <laughs> uh, my brain. Okay. okay. I like right. That. Number two, describe your style in one word. This is so, oh, such gosh. a weird question. <laughs> I, I'm guessing this is not the one you came up with. <laughs> uh, discerning? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Discerning, okay. Number three, what was your biggest fear as a child? That's a dead uh, No, that's not my question. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Um... I guess uh, dying, I would say. Like, I don't know, for a period in my childhood, I, I always thought about the notion of dying. I know that sounds kind of weird, but, yeah. you know, yeah, maybe that was sort of the, the time that that um, I sort of discovered the concept of death itself, maybe. Okay. If you were a girl, out of your two co-founders, who would you date and why? <laughs> Is that your one? Yeah, that's my one. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I think this is going to sound really weird, but I, I, I would say probably Jonathan in the sense that he talks a lot, right? So there will never be a, a quiet moment. Like I'm, um, I'm was... someone who's a bit more quiet. So, okay. and I, Carlos is also someone who's like, but Carlos well, is so. really dull, basically. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I wouldn't say that. You know, if you were with Carlos, it would be like a no stress life. So, are you just picking Jonathan because he's tall? No, I think the physical attributes. Opposites attract, right? So, I'm someone who's more quiet. So, I think I need someone who's a bit louder to kind of balance me out. Okay. Mm. So, Jonathan is the answer. Right. Next one. This is a good one. If you were a dog, what type of dog would you be? <laughs> this is so bizarre. I think Jonathan asked this because he knows I have two dogs. Uh, so I would say probably a, a Shetland sheep dog because that's one of my dogs. And I think we have kind of similar personalities in the sense that, you know, he's a bit standoffish to strangers, but to people that he likes he's you know quite affectionate and loyal so i guess that's how i would see myself at least 
Mm. Okay. Next one. What is the one thing you regret spending money on? <laughs> Watches that are like somewhat popular, but maybe I don't have a deep interest in. And I find that those are the ones that I always regret and sell like mm. soon after. Mm. Okay, next one. One annoying thing about each of your co-founders. <laughs> um, so for Jonathan, probably also the quality that I like if I, you know, if I was a go and were to date him is he talks too much probably. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, for and Carlos, Carlos? Um, yeah. Gosh, I don't think there's anything annoying about him. Okay, um, so Carlos is like vanilla. I wouldn't say that. It's your words, not mine. Okay. Yeah, they are. I'm not saying I. I was just, I was just helping you out there. So nothing. <laughs> so is, that, is that your answer? You regrets coming on. <laughs> you yeah, can't look at I'm... his co-founders with a straight eye. <laughs> I, I, I'm seriously contemplating my life choices right now. Right. Your last one. What is a hidden talent that you have? <laughs> it makes me think that Jonathan knows something that we don't. But... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Making coffee, I make pretty good coffee. I make coffee at home all the time. Like mm -hmm. I can do latte art. I guess that's sort of, you know, one interest that, that I don't really tell many people about. Okay. Well, that is the end of the pump push around. That concludes the whole interview. How did you find it? Probably one of the most difficult interviews I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I gotta give it to you guys. You guys ask good questions. Very difficult to answer questions, but you know, has a lot of depth to it. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it actually. No, <laughs> Thanks good. for having me on. Nah, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I think that's the biggest compliment you can pay us: the fact that we are not generic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, all the best with uh, the Horology Club. I look forward to seeing what you guys get up to in the future. And hopefully next time in Hong Kong, we get to meet again in Shake Shack. Right? Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having okay. me. The pleasure is all mine. And I look forward to meeting Jacqueline in person for the first time. <laughs> Bet. Okay. We'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. 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 Say bye, Helbert. Oh. Bye. <laughs> as always, thank you for listening to the waiting list podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the waiting list podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.